Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. speak of moderation, which is a very popular subject in our, <laughs> very popular subject in our country. Okay, um, let's pray, ask God uh, to touch, if no one else, to touch me. Um, let's hear his word, hear what he has to say, and um, that it would be accomplished as it would the meaning would be. Let's pray. God of heaven, we love you, holy God. We thank you this day. We thank you for your holy word, for your holy anointed word, Lord Jesus. For it is the strength in which we need, Lord God. It is a comfort to our mind, Lord God. It helps us in each and every day on this road of life in which we travel, Lord God. I pray that this word would give direction, God, no matter where we go or we wind up and find ourselves. It is the direction that we need. Touch us this day. Anoint us, Lord God, I pray. Strengthen us, each and every one, Lord God. We thank you, God, for what you do in each and every day, God, I pray. Have your way in the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. The, we'll read the, um, the two verses that it gives to it. Um, it will speak and make mention of Solomon. Uh, it's the main character in the lesson. In, in Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, 10 and 11, um, this is Solomon in some of his wisdom in his writings. Ecclesiastes 2 and 10. And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Verse 11, then I looked on all my works that my hands had wrought and on all the labor that I had labored to do and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. Now, we hold this word as truth and the Bible says, this word says Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. So what I want to do before I start the lesson, I just want to look, I wrote me some notes, and I just want to look at a little bit before Solomon. The Bible speaks of David, his father, and we would look at David and Bathsheba, which resulted in Solomon, but if you look at David's life, when he began with Bathsheba as David going wrong, 
that is not where David started going wrong. You have to go back at least 20 years before that. Because God told his men in Israel, only take one wife. Do not have multiple wives. When you read of David before this, before Bathsheba, David has already began to take multiple wives. And the Lord said, don't do this. David was already doing, transgressing this word that we have. So it had already started. David had already showed disregard for God's word. God had already gave a command, do not do this. And David was already doing it. Now, at this time when the kings, the Bible says, go to battle, what did David do? David said, I have did it, I've accomplished it, so many words, I'm just going to stay at home. Okay? He did stay at home. Apparently it's, I'm assuming it's afternoon or early evening. He takes a walk out on his roof, which apparently is high above everyone else's. He sees something that he should not have seen. And then we know the, the story of that. Now, the end result of that, he sees Bathsheba. He gets someone to inquire who she is. The Bible records it is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The Bible makes mention of that. Now, I'll skip a lot of this because I know you know it. The Bible says Uriah the Hittite. Now, she goes, she comes to David, then she sends word to David, I am with child. So Uriah, when you read of the character of this man, this guy wasn't Jewish, but the character this man displayed put David to shame. Literally made him drunk. Go lie with your wife. And just pardon me for me being candid here. Go lie with your wife. This Hittite, whom God said, take out, destroy the Hittites. Go all the way back to Exodus. This is one group of people God said, you are to remove. But this Hittite wouldn't even go sleep with his own wife. And David trying to just do everything he can to make this child look like it's his, but he wouldn't do it. And I've always said, that is why I believe, and, but this is my theory. That's why I believe it was so easy for David, there's two things, so easy for David to have him kill. He was a Hittite, but I always got to go back to number two. The lust that was already in David, it wouldn't have mattered if he was a Jew he still would have had him killed. So he goes, he has Uriah killed, and then he has Nathan come. And Nathan, the prophet, just goes to him, and he just says, he just lays out this theory to David. David is enraged. It's like Brother Boyd just told us, was it Wednesday night? When, it's, when he's just joking and says, boy, I wish so-and-so was here, they should be receiving this. David is like enraged. You know, he's going to do this. He should do this. And then Nathan says, but you're the man. But you're the one. You are the one, David, that God is referring to. 
You are the one that killed the husband. You are the one that took the wife. So, so God, is, God is doing this. He, he is he's just confronting David head on of what you've done. If you had not stayed home from the battle where you should have been, then the opportunity would not have presented itself for you to be on the roof, for you to see her. This sin would have never happened. You didn't do what you were supposed to do, David. You went wrong, and then it all started from there. So, but what I'm saying is sometimes, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm making a point, sometimes in life, one little thing can go wrong, and it just seems like, I'm talking in a, in a Christian person's life, one little thing go wrong, and then we find ourselves, but how did I get here? Stay with me now. So then the prophet comes to him, tells him, you did wrong. And, the, and you look at this how you want. But the Bible says, and God struck the child. God said, that child's not going to live. I'm taking the child. Look at that ever how you want, but I would be very careful. That child's in heaven. That child's with the Lord. As a result of this, and the Bible plainly says, seven days after the Lord struck the child, the child died. So the child dies, the Lord took the child, and what I would say to us is in our past, simply what's done is done. And we can't change it. And is David, you shouldn't done this, you shouldn't done that, but what's done is done. It is horrific what he had done. Take another man's wife, commit adultery with her, have her husband killed. Now God takes a child. Where do we go from here? And David is just like, and then the prophet come point his finger in his face and said, yeah, but God knows and sent me to tell you what you've done. And you think, how do you recover from this? But we, we can. What's done is done. And then how far do you go from being a Christian? How much do you try to undo? And that I would be very careful in. I'm telling you, I'm not being in nobody's business. Let God be God. I'm telling you, let God be God. A lot of the things you can't fix, so don't try to fix. If you've repented of it and you feel God's forgiven you of it, leave it alone. There's no way David could have fixed this. He can't bring Uriah back. He can't bring the baby back. In fact, David said, the child's not coming to me. I'm just going to the child. The baby's dead. What's done is done. We got to go from this point. And it's over. And it's not being cold. It's just saying, I got to come to grips and ask God to forgive me. And I got to somehow get over this. If I don't, this is going to be lost. There's no way mentally I can get over this. So he does. And, and the Bible says he comforts Bathsheba. And Solomon was born. And this is my point Solomon means 
peace. When you look up the word Solomon, it means peace or peaceable. And me, this is my point. I believe what God was saying to David. The prophet put his finger in your face and said, you're the one. But David, right now, me and you is at peace. We are at peace. Solomon is born, and I think we are at peace. Now, there's one thing I want us to look at. That one thing. Did you know Solomon had another name? We never hear it. But Solomon had another name. And actually, it's, on, it's only recorded one time in the entire King James Version. One time. But what actually happened is God said, Nathan, you are the one that put your finger, so to speak, in David's face. And notice how this verse is read. It's in Ecclesiastes, excuse me, it's in 2 Samuel, and it's uh, 12, 25. Look at this. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet and called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. When you look up Jedidiah, it means beloved of the Lord. Beloved of the Lord. I believe God was telling David, you and Bathsheba not only love this child, but I love this child. I love this child just as much as you do. And I'm not going to let the prophet point his finger at you and you be thinking, I know you're saying we're at peace, but what's done is done. And I just want to confirm it one more time. So I'm giving him his name as God. I'm giving him his name. His name not only Solomon, but it's Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. So that's what. It's only recorded one time in the Bible, but we never hear it. But that is Solomon's name. This lesson is about Solomon. It's about moderation. Literally, living in a world that just says moderation. So what? You don't need moderation. Moderation for what? You just go for it, baby, in everything you do. And to some extent, I understand that. Be all that you can be. Strive, push yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is limits, and we should have limits to what we do. It's for our good. It's for our benefit. Now, I want to go back to our to our scripture where it says, and um, I read in Ecclesiastes second, the second chapter 10, 11, but let's go to verse 9 and start there. And I want you to listen how Solomon words it. And just think of how he turns this inward and just what it would, so I, so I was great. And increase more than all that was before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever my eyes desired I kept not from them. And withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. 
and on all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, this is what I believe. The lust that tormented his father destroyed his son. There's, there's characters in the Bible, one meaning Job, meaning an extreme, an extreme bout of sickness of a man that overed it, that stayed true to God. Here is Solomon as someone that the Bible says was the wisest man. And we just have people that's just this thirst is just like the old carrot right before your eyes. If I could just have a little bit more. And Solomon tells us I was that man. And vanity means vapor or just a breath. You need breath. You need one right after another. And Solomon says it was all like taking a breath. It was gone. It didn't satisfy. It was just like somebody getting a fix or getting a high and it was gone. And it was just what do I do now? I'm, the breath is gone. And that's why he says it's all vanity. It's all vexation of spirit. What I thought was going to fulfill me, fulfilled nothing. And so Solomon is that character that is given to us to learn from. Because we think, and we have people, yes, I'm the exception. You could give me all the money in the world. Hey, baby, it wouldn't affect me at all. Who are you kidding? Look in the mirror and look at the one that's going to be fooled because Solomon is the one. Now, a lot of people debate whether Solomon was saved or not, and that is not the issue. But the issue is Solomon, truly the wisest man that ever lived, says, I withheld nothing from myself. If I wanted it, I got it. He is our example. And in the end, he is just saying, look how he began when his latter part in life and he read, vanity of vanity, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. When he is literally starting the book from the outside, someone would say, man, look at all that this king has. Look at the harem that this guy has. Look at all the lands, the gold. And Solomon said, if you could just open me up, there's nothing inside, nothing. I wanted everything, and I obtained it, but I had nothing. And God is saying to us, to all the people that will look, and a lot of people don't like to read Ecclesiastes because they say it's too morbid. But I'm telling you, this is written from a man that knows what he's talking about. And we live in a world that just says, you know what? Go for it. Go for it. You know, um, I hadn't given you a motocross example so let me in a while. So let me give you one that um, relates to my world. It might not relate to your world, but just bear with me. There is a young man. He's only 17 uh, this happened a, a few years ago, but I looked it up again to make sure. He's riding on a track, 
I told you years ago about the sign when, when kids was little, when they would get to squabbling on the track, how the, the parents or the coaches would write three words on the track, or three words on the, on the pit board and it says, race the track. In other words, you need to ride the track how it's designed. This kid, in practice, is riding a motocross track. He just goes berserk and jumps 250 foot. Now, to put that in perspective, from the end of this church to the end of this church is about 100 foot. So two and a half times the length of this church, he jumps. But here's the danger. The track was not designed for that. So, there, he's putting it on YouTube, and they're saying, what did you do that for? I don't know. I just pinned it. You know, the throttle's on the right hand. I just pinned it and went for it. Yes, but you could have landed on someone. I've physically seen it done. Broke necks, broke backs. You can't do that. And to show that his father was there, and to show that no restraint was put on this young man, he went out and did it ten more times. And it's just like, where is the restraint? There is none. If the track is designed for that, that's one thing. But you are one breath from your death or causing a death that you're doing. You're on, you're on a track that's not designed for it, and you have went insane. Literally. And that's not from a 62-year-old. That's really from a danger point of view. And that's just our society. I want to, don't you dare put restraints on me. You're limiting my capability. No, we're trying to see that you see tomorrow. And what we're doing is, is Solomon is saying, look, look at my words. Gain it all. And it's just left me with vanity. It is just a breath. Literally, he's telling. And so he goes out and his, just, his conclusion is that I have nothing left. And I'm telling you, it would have just, I don't know if the people, I don't know when they started reading this, but I would have just almost loved to see the expression of the people that seen Solomon and all his wealth go by to read this book and to see the reaction on their face of what their picture of Solomon was and to read what Solomon said of what he was really like. He just, he didn't have it. He had no moderation whatsoever. If he wanted it, he got it. Now, but you know Solomon said that life had become a burden to him and he literally hated it. How much is too much? How much is too much? To Solomon, there was never enough. There was never enough. He got everything he wanted and more. It was just go, go, go. You know, and then he takes, and at some point in his life, we know it started well. We know it started well. And the Lord let him build the temple. David wanted to build the temple, but David said no. I mean, God said no. You got that sword in your house. Way too much blood on that baby. 
you can't build a temple. But God lets Solomon, his son, build a temple. So we know it started out right. And then what Solomon started doing. And then, you know, the, the Bible speaks of his wives turning in the end, his wives turning his heart. And I'm sort of conflicted with that. You know, and, and women, please don't take me wrong in this example. But the Bible says that his wives, when he was old, his wives turned his heart. What did God tell them not to do? When they went through these other lands, God said, do not intermarry with them. And the, the preachers, through one way or another, has used the example of a rattlesnake. If you pick up a rattlesnake and it bites you, don't expect me to feel sorry for you. You picked up a rattlesnake. So God said, do not marry these women because they will turn your heart towards their God. Solomon married these women, and they was just doing what was natural to them. So they turned his heart, is what I'm saying. It's not that I'm trying to uh, uh, compare them to a rattlesnake. What I'm saying is they did what was natural to them. And God had said, don't do that. And Solomon just gains wife after wife after wife. And for long, his defense, he had no defense. What did he do? He goes and marries another wife, so to speak. And then he, um, when you read uh, of which his lawful wife was the daughter of Pharaoh, of all things. I brought you out of Egypt. And you go marry a daughter of Pharaoh? Am I being too harsh? You go marry someone from Egypt? That was his lawful wife. And then he added from there, you're the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. And then he just, he just went from there. Solomon's life stands as a consistent warning to the fertility of of seeking fulfillment and meaning in materialism. If that's not America, I don't know what it is. Because even though on a smaller scale, we can find ourselves still like Solomon. Of just, and I've, I've said, and I believe that, you know, we, we know of stores that had the layaway plans, and sometimes, you know, you just lay away things, and almost the thrill, I won't call it a high, but <laughs> of just the excitement of paying for something, and then the charge you get, and then when you finally get it, this is what I've been paying for. This is what I've been paying for. It just, it, it don't, it just, you know, Solomon was saying, I had everything I wanted except a feeling satisfied. I didn't have that feeling of which I wanted. And if ever there was a person that we could learn from, I feel it's Solomon. Because we think, and we really do, you know, if I just had this, 
in. Whether it's monetary or whether it's something material or if it's this or that or whatever, it could be a thousand different things. But the real thing of it is, is as Paul said, whatever state you're in, there would be content. You know, being thankful for what you have because what we truly lack, God knows. He truly knows what we lack and what we need, God knows. Now, he found this truly, you know, and one, <laughs> one thing about Solomon is he was never under the delusion. You know, if I only had a little bit more, then I would be happy. Can you imagine that, never living with that? Because he never, he never experienced that. You know, he's just walking down the road and, and whatever. I don't know how, the, how he did this, but he's just seeing something. And, and, you know, I would like to have that. And one of his 700 wives says, you know, you really shouldn't have that. And he says, well, you're right. No. He never was in that kind of situation. He said, if my eyes beheld it, it was mine. It was mine. You know, and, and, and he got it. Yeah. But the Bible literally counsels us to watch ourselves, to be moderate in all things. And that is for our good, just as we counsel our children. I mean, you know, when they get down and... and um, Pitch a fit, you know. Me and uh, another gentleman uh, a few years back was in um, Subway in High Springs, and this lady pulls up in a nice, um, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, SUV, a very nice vehicle. The kid gets out. Uh, she walks in front of us, so she has children, so we let her go. I wish we went first, but we let her go. So the kid wants something. And she says no. So he starts. And she's just, you know, she's just like, whose child is that? And he gets to her. He's in the floor, rolling in the floor. And this goes on the whole time she's there. And I'm thinking, you know, the floor is dirty. He is rolling back into the floor, and she's just like, you know, we just back up a little bit, give him a little rolling room. And literally, I'm not kidding. And then when uh, she finished paying, you know, finished paying, she tells him, come on. And she goes back, straps him in the car seat and leaves. And I thought, wow. You know, like, what have we learned? Absolutely nothing. But it's okay to roll on the floor at Subway. You know, and the moderation that we, that, that we are taught when we are children, there are some things you can't do. And what you can do, there's a limit. And that limit is for our good. You know, I, I used to tell um, my sons, you know, they, when they was getting up of age and would go out somewhere, you know, why do you call us? So-and-so don't call them. I said, do not start that with me. This ain't about nobody else. I call you because I love you. 
if I didn't care nothing about you, I wouldn't call you. And that's what I would tell them. There's limits. There's limits. And so we learn that. And in our Christian life, if we come to church and, and the, the preacher's preaching and God convicts us, we shouldn't feel hard at God. Thank God that you love me, that you still convict me, that my spirit is still close enough to you that I can feel that conviction. I want to feel that conviction. I don't want to be so far out that conviction is there and that I'm thinking, man, I'm okay. I didn't feel nothing. Man, I don't want to feel that. I need to have moderation in every part of my life, and we need it. And Solomon is a good one to learn from it. And then his life serves as a tragedy, and literally from the very from the very beginning, growing up, Solomon literally had everything. Born in the palace, raised, everything he wanted. I mean, you, you would think, what would that be like to grow up and to have everything that you wanted? And then to grow up and look. And you think, as with Solomon, that it begins so right, how could it go so wrong? And it's just moderation. At some point when it started veering off, you know, I don't know where the council was in Solomon's life. Whether he got arrogant, I don't know. This is just speculation on my part. That whether the wisdom that God himself had given him that he felt like he didn't need the counsel. I don't know if the prophets tried to counsel him and he thought he was wise enough to do it himself. I don't know. But something happened to Solomon and he just he, he just started going off. And God gave him so much wisdom. And then in the end, he just says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. And you would think, how can a man say this that has everything? I mean everything. How can this be the conclusion of someone that God gave so much wisdom and knowledge, riches, power, everything that you would want, and him wind up in the end and just said it was all just as a breath and it's gone. And yet I'm empty. I'm still unfulfilled. That is truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. But the one thing that I'll give Solomon was his honesty. He was honest enough to put it in words for thousands and millions of people to read like us of just what it would be like to live in a world and to say or to think, you know, if I had just a little bit more, you know, you know, I'm making X amount of dollars. If I could make just a little bit more, you know, if that's truly the case, don't think about it. Pray about it. Because God knows. God knows. He truly knows. But when Solomon, he just said, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. And you think, that can't, 
that can't be true. That can't be true. Solomon, really? That can't be true. The Bible says, now, his demise began when he openly disobeyed God and surrounded himself with people who had no commitment to the Lord and no intention of serving God. I truly believe that. We don't really know exactly how Solomon started veering away from the Lord. Um, like I say, we just we just really don't know. But one thing, it is so unbelievable that if the if the Bible didn't clearly state it, that it would be hard to believe. But there is. Um, it says that Solomon built high places for Kamash and Molech. This was the wisest man that ever lived. And these was some of the gods or the pagans that offered child sacrifice. And in Solomon, how can you do this? How can you do this? And that's what I'm saying. This this is that the Bible says that the presence of God was so thick in the temple that the Spirit of God was so thick, his anointing. Solomon had been there. And then in the end, to build these high places for these pagan gods, if it was not recorded in the Bible, you would think this this couldn't be. How could somebody, the wisest man that would ever be, go from that to building that had knew the presence of God, that had experienced it, and knew not to do this, but did it? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm telling you, I don't have an answer for it. It just, with him surrounding himself, that's why I say what influenced and David destroyed Solomon and just surrounding himself with these ungodly influences, it just destroyed him. There ain't no other way to look at it. And Solomon was honest enough to tell us. I mean, he was honest enough to tell us. In the lesson here, it, it gives these points. What is influencing us? To whom? Are we listening? What are you watching, reading, giving your life? What is your focus? Is there any foreign wise in your life? To whom are you more devoted to than God? A simple test is time and money, and that is the truth. That's why we're always told, be careful to whom you listen, careful what you watch, what you hear. Um, but, Moderation will come as God works on us through the ongoing of his presence, of his spirit in our lives. But the last one, and Paul was writing in Galatians, he tells of temperance, which is self-control. And then he said, um, that is the last one of the fruit of the spirit. 
because in our day, which is just said, I mean, moderation is laughed at, literally. You, <laughs> you want to limit yourself in anything, you're just laughed at. I mean, literally, it is just no self-control. You know, you're just considered crazy, you know. But Paul says that is one of the fruit of the Spirit is moderation. It is temperate self-control. And he takes and he says that we can have it. In fact, we can have all we want. Solomon concluded, and he said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandment, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, the call for moderation, I guess, within us, within our flesh, doesn't appeal to us because sometimes we just, we don't want no control. We're just like the, the little child in the in Subway. You know, we just, we want to roll on the floor. We want to roll on the floor. We don't want nobody telling us what to do. And, you know, and when a preacher comes and preaches on something that rubs us the wrong way, um, we, you know, we have the possibility to get niffed. But there on the other hand, that's what I'm saying. Let's, let's say God. If Lord have mercy, if I'm going the wrong way, don't leave me alone. Let me be moved. You know, don't let me stay the same, you know, because, because when I leave here, I'm going to a world that's going to tell me I'm okay. I'm okay. Live with no restraint. But when I'm in his presence like we are here, then I'm going to feel that I need to have the guidance of the Spirit of God. Because when I go into the world, so to speak, it's going to like, wow, you feel it? Go with it. You know, that's what I'm going to get, so to speak, out there. But now, that's what I want from the Lord is to know self-control. That's what it says of Moses being the meekest man on earth, you know. And he, he just knew. I mean, he just knew how to trust the Lord. So when it comes to Solomon, I don't know. He, some of the things is astounding. But I would say what is disheartening is that he, the way he, literally he began. When you look at his life, the promise, everything he had, everything that God blessed him with. But really, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, there, I, I really believe that there's more than one way to look at this. Is I really don't think it's in the Bible for us to dwell on Solomon, so to speak. I believe it's there for us to dwell on Solomon as a type because Solomon was there for someone, as I would say, that had it all. And for the person that we would say, if I could just have a little bit more, Solomon is the opposer of that. I've already been there. I've already went through that. I know that it will not work. Nothing will satisfy except the Lord. And 
having moderation in our life, having self-control, being able to control our life, having the ability to control our life is only a God-giving effect, and it will come through the Holy Ghost because I can't do this on my own. You know, I, I can't, and if anyone is a teacher of that, it's Solomon because apparently he tried to do it on his own because whatever he said as I seen, he got. And he tried to do this all apart from the Lord. And we see the end result of that. And it's just meaningless. It was just meaningless. And that's a sad note. That's a sad note. But the positive thing of this, the positive thing of this is Solomon is an example to us of that it can't be done without the Lord. The only true satisfaction comes from God. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means. We love you. We thank you for what it does. Seal it, Lord God, in our hearts, I pray. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Lord God. Touch us this day, Lord God. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.